we've not met before, my name is Richard. Uh, my wife Judith and I lead the team here. Um, you know, it, we are, as has been kind of referred to this morning, we are stretched at the moment in terms of being quite thin on the ground. It's amazing, isn't it? We look around and you think, look, this is a really strong church. Um, we do need more of you to get involved and carry some weight with us. Um, let's carry the weight um, together. So we're inviting you. If, if you're stirred about what that might look like for you, come and talk to us. Um, come and get involved in the belonging course. Um, so much opportunity. Um, so many things that we have done in the past, like Obi refers to, that we're not doing right now. Um, but, you know, there's so much opportunity. Anyway, I don't know if you have ever seen that TV program. It's been on our TVs um, for a while. Who do you think you are? You ever seen that program? Who do you think you are? Basically, the basic premise is a different celebrity each week. Um, with the help of quite a big budget, I'm sure, and some producers and, and some experts. They're not just like on Ancestry.com at home. Um, but with the help of some, uh, some experts, and um, they go back and they, they search through their family history. Um, and... Um, I'm sure they pick them on this basis. I'm sure there's a few that never make it onto the TV show because it always turns out that they've got some ancestor that basically saved the world um, in, in their past. Or there's some kind of scandal and, and, and they get all upset about it. But it's very emotional and the celebrity is nearly always crying at some point in the program because our family history actually kind of connects with us at a deep level. At a deep level, there's this kind of connection because as we look into our past and our family tree and our history, there's this sense of part of my identity is, is wrapped up in that history. And it made me think how good parents, and I know some of us have had difficult experiences of family and parenthood, but, but good parents, well, I, I think there's two major things that they are supposed to to give us. I'm sure there's more than two, but two major things that I was thinking about. One is love. Good parents are supposed to give us unconditional love. Good parents, are, we're supposed to be able to know, aren't we, that our parents are just going to love us no matter what, and it builds this kind of security in our lives. It builds this kind of foundation to, to who we are as human beings. Um, and the second thing that I was thinking about that parents are supposed to give us is identity. They shape so much of who we are. Uh, obviously, we get our nationality from our parents. We get our culture and our ethnicity. Um, so much about us is formed and shaped by our parents. And then, of course, we, we grow up and we receive... Um, Certain customs, certain cultures, things that are normal, values that we're shaped in. Um, whether, whether we have um, birth parents, whether we have adopted parents, whether we're looked after in families that are come in different shapes and sizes, still those families start to shape our identity and our values and what becomes normal to us. And one of the things that we sometimes have to help um, couples with is when they've come from really different backgrounds and what seems normal and what seems obvious, um, and, and some of you are smiling because you've experienced it, that, that what seems obvious and normal it, from your background actually is not obvious and normal from someone else's background. We get so much love and we get so much identity when we have a good experience of parents and family. 
And yet, our human parents, as however good they were, are nothing compared to the perfection that we find in God's parenthood. God is a perfect father. And he offers us perfect, unconditional love. And he offers us our truest identity. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. You're at an advantage because it just comes up on the screen for you. I've got to turn in my Bible. 1 John 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love that. That is what we are. What amazing love that you should be called a child of God. And that is who you are. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, when something goes off on the inside of us, we call it conviction of the Holy Spirit. That, that moment when we realize that we've been going our own way, we've been doing our own thing, we might be particularly aware of, of certain things that we've done wrong, or it might be just a general awareness. Suddenly we become aware, I've been selfish, I've been all about me, whatever it is, but something goes off on the inside and we become aware, I've been living without God and I need him. I need a relationship with him. And God himself in that moment, even then, it's him in his love. He's drawing us towards him. And in that moment when we, when we decide to turn away from living life our own way, when we, when we decide, however it happened in your life, but that moment when you go, enough is enough. I'm not doing it on my own anymore. I'm not living without God anymore. I want to put all of my hope and my trust in him. I want to give my life to him and following him. The Bible calls it repentance and faith. And when we experience that, we're taught, Jesus says, you become born again. The Holy Spirit comes and does something miraculous in your life and you become a new creation. Paul said this, he said, the old has gone and the new has come. You become a new person. And suddenly, you understand, you experience something of the love of God that goes beyond your wildest dreams. Anything you could ever have imagined because he loved you so much, so much, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bleed and die on a cross and suffer rejection and separation from the presence of his father. To experience death. Spiritual death on all our behalf. Separation on all of our behalf. So that we could be restored in relationship with God. So that you could not just be distant and far off subjects. Going about your own business in a distant and remote world that God's no longer interested in. But no, so that you could be restored as children of God. A revelation of love that we could never have imagined. Because even if we had a broken, terrible experience of parenthood in our own lives, 
we can discover the beautiful, perfect fatherhood of God. Love like we've never imagined. Unconditional, unfailing love. But also, we receive in that moment a brand new identity. A brand new identity. And this is the truth, if we will believe it. That identity is far more important than any other aspect of my identity. It's not that it's irrelevant that I was born in Croydon in South London, which apparently is quite a rough place. I wouldn't know. I left it um, quite young. Um, I don't think I'm the typical Croydon person. But, but I was born there. And it's not that that's irrelevant. And I grew up with my parents, with my family, with my brother. And, uh, and we had certain values, and that shaped me. And it's not that that's not important. There are certain culture, things in my cultural heritage. It's not that those things aren't important. We all come from different places. We've had different influences. And it's part of what makes this just such a beautiful church family. And we celebrate those things. But it's more important that you've been born again. It's more important that you're a child of God than it is that you came from, I don't know, Malaysia or Thailand or Indonesia or Nigeria or Kenya or Uganda or any other place in the world. Forgive me if I didn't mention your place, Ghana. This is dangerous now. I'm just going to keep seeing people. Those things aren't unimportant. And it's not that it's not worth us celebrating those things, but we have to, see, we're in trouble if those things are more important to us. And sometimes we say they're not more important to us, but then our actions reveal an underlying truth that they have become more important to us. But actually, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what's the most important thing about me? I'm a child of God. My, my revelation of God's love and my identity in him all comes back to that, that I am a child of God. You see, Jesus told this amazing story um, in, in um, Luke chapter 15. I was um, going to read it. I'm not going to read it right now, but I urge you to read again. I know it's, for, for many of you it's a very familiar story, a, a parable about um, a father and two sons. And the, this father and his two sons, they're... they're um, you know, they're, they're together, um, and I'm, you know, I'm just assuming Jesus doesn't go into the details. I'm assuming it's a, it's a great relationship between this father and his two sons. But then the youngest son, he decides he wants, to, he wants to have his inheritance, and he wants to go off and do his own thing. And this is a rejection of his identity as the father's son. Now, that may or may not be really obvious in our culture today. Different ones of us come from different cultures. Um, that may or may not be a strong part of your identity. But make no mistake, the people listening to Jesus, they would have understood and be shocked by the fact that this son rejected his father by saying, I want to go off and do my own thing. He's saying, I want the money, I want the resources, I want the blessings, but I don't want to be part of your plan and purpose. I don't want to be part of your identity, the future that you have for us together. I want to go off and do my own thing, my own way. And all I want from you is I want you to bless me while I pursue my thing. Sound familiar? Have we ever possibly slipped into that place? 
I want the Father to bless me while I go off and do things my way. Give me, give me the resources, give me the blessings, but I'll merrily go off pursuing my own thing. So this son goes off and, and he gets into a mess. He makes a mess of his life and he eventually comes to the point where he's like eating, longing to eat what the pigs eat. Um, and um, he realizes that his father's servants are in a better place. And so he, he, he says, I'll go home and I'll, I'll become like one of the servants. I'll become like one of the hired workers in my father's house. And at this point, he's probably experiencing what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. That point where we feel sorry for ourselves. That point where we got caught. Where we got found out. Where we were embarrassed because other people knew where we didn't like the consequences of the choices that we made. So we felt gutted about it. We felt upset about it. But we haven't yet realized the damage that we've done between us and our father. So to start with, that's what he's experiencing. And then, then as you read through the story, he gets to the point where he says, I need to say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. It's not just that I'm in a sorry state. It's not just that woe is me because I'm eating what the, I, I long to, he didn't even get to eat what the pigs were eating. So he's not just feeling gutted about the mess that he's in, but suddenly he realizes that the real issue here is the relationship between him and his father. So he goes back to his father. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, you'll have you know, possibly heard this preached a million times, but um, the father does not wait. Does not wait. He's not there like, about time you came home. He's not there looking at his watch, tapping his foot. He's not there rolling his eyes. What amazes me is this father is not embarrassed. You see, everyone around, all his other workers, everyone in, they must all know the scandal of what's gone on. That this son, this spoiled, ungrateful son, has gone off and squandered all his father's inheritance. It's pro- I blame the parents. <laughs> the dad probably could feel embarrassed, couldn't he? He could feel like my son's gone off and that, but he's, the son, the son just has to make a move towards him, and the father runs to him with open arms. He runs to him, and the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, he puts a robe on him. And he puts a ring on his finger, and he puts sandals on his feet. And all of these things, the people listening to Jesus, they would have understood all of these are about restoring this son's identity. It's all about saying, I don't want you as a hired worker. I don't want you as a servant, as a slave. I want you back as my son. I want to, I'm not ashamed to identify with you. I'm not ashamed for everyone to know that despite what's happened, you're not coming back on a trial basis. You are coming back as my son. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however far you've fallen, I'm restoring you all the way back to your true identity as a child of God. And the ring that he put on his finger, it was a symbol of his authority. I'm not, just, I'm not just like putting him back as a figurehead, but he's here. He's here to be part of what I'm doing. He's here to be part of this family's family business. He put sandals on his feet, and that was a symbol of not being a slave, but of being a child of the house, an heir, an heir of that estate. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel that shows us this incredible love 
that God has for us. But also that that love is all about. You see, you can't separate God's love for us and our identity as his children. It's his love for us that gives us our identity. But when we receive our identity as his children, that means we can no longer be uninvolved in what he's doing. His heart for us is that we live as part of his family, as part of his household, a part of, as part of his business. And so in receiving the son back, the son is no longer pursuing his own thing apart from the father. He's come back to be part of what the father is doing. And that's what God did when he called to you with the gospel. He didn't just say, I love you. He said, I love you and I want you to know your true identity. I want you to know your true purpose. I want you to know the true meaning and value of your life. That in receiving my love for you, you become part of what I am doing in revealing my love in this world. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, preaching in Capernaum, doing miracles. Everyone wants him to stay in Capernaum, to carry on doing the miracles. And he says, Luke 4, 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well because this is why I was sent. I am here to make this good news known. That though your world is broken and corrupted and dying, even though you find injustice all around you, even though you find corrupt politicians, even though you find things that disappoint you and hurt you, even though there is sickness, even though there is crime, even though there is injustice, there is hope because God's kingdom is on the way. And you can be a part of it. You can enter into it. You can know relationship with God, your Father, and be part of establishing love and justice and righteousness. You can be part of the demonstration that God's kingdom is coming. So Jesus says, I have to preach this gospel. I have to let everyone know about this. I have to live my life for this purpose because that is why I was sent. And then in John 17... 13 to 19. John 17. 13 to 19. Jesus prays just before he's crucified. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things. He's praying to the Father. He says, I say these things while I'm still in the world. So that they, his followers, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Because most of us don't believe that. You are not of this world. You are not of the UK or Nigeria, or wherever else in the world. You are not of this world, just as Jesus is not of this world. Of course you were still born here. Well, Jesus was born in Nazareth. But he wasn't of this world because he had a truer identity. You have a truer identity. 
you have a more fundamental identity. And that outworks itself, of course, in who you are as a person and all the cultural influences you've had, and we celebrate all of those. But there is a more fundamental aspect to who you are. They are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Uh-oh. Being in this world is going to require protection. Think about that for a moment. Jesus prayed, knowing how he wanted to send you, that God would protect you. So if we're not doing anything that needs God's protection, then there might be something wrong. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And when we look at Jesus, everything about who he is, and we talked about this last week. You can go back and you can listen to that again. But we talked about this as part of that apostolic nature of the church. The most important thing about Jesus is that he is sent. He's sent to reveal God's love. He's sent to make God known. He's sent into our world as the revelation of God himself. Everything about his ministry. When I say the most important thing about Jesus, I mean in terms of his earthly life, in terms of what he came to do, I'm here to reveal who God is so that you can know him, so that you can know the gospel. And then he says, I'm sending you. And in John 20 and verse 21, he says the same thing after his resurrection. As he breathes on his disciples and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, even as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. When you come to Jesus, you get a revelation of God's love that will keep on blowing our minds for the rest of our earthly lives. Because his love is never, ever going to fail you. And I suspect there may be times when you feel like you've failed him. I, I suspect there may be times when you feel like you've failed in things that he called you to do or you failed in the, what he called you to do with your life. But his love will never, ever, ever fail you. But when you came to him, you also got an identity. And at the heart of that identity is that you are sent. You are sent. You know, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul had this great dilemma because he was wrestling with the fact that he just wanted to go and be with Jesus. He just wanted to go. He, he, he'd been serving God. He'd been having a hard time. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been through all kinds of sufferings. And we could forgive him, couldn't we, in that moment, just, just to be like, God, I'm just worn out and I just want to come and be with you because I've got this amazing revelation of eternity with you that's going to be far better than all this rubbish that we experience on earth. And I just long to be with you. Paul says, I'm torn. I don't know what I should do. I don't know, I don't know what's the right thing. I don't know. You know, I, I long to go and be with Jesus, but actually I know it's better for you that I remain. I know some of you have heard me say this so many times, but if you believe that actually ultimately that's God's decision and not yours, then the fact that you are alive right now, the fact that you are breathing right now, means that God has chosen that it is better for the world to send you into it. 
He has decided it's not time yet. Any one of us could have died in our sleep last night. And if you've given your life to Jesus, then ultimately you would be better off by far. Ultimately. I'm not suggesting anyone does anything daft. But actually, he chose. The fact that you woke up this morning, every day that you wake up, every day that you wake up, you receive his love, and you receive afresh your identity as a sent son or daughter, because that's who you are. You are sent into this world as a son or daughter of God to put his incredible love that you have experienced in your life on display to the world around you, to put his incredible justice, his incredible freedom, and yes, you will make mistakes. And yes, we will sometimes get angry and we'll feel like we've let Jesus down. And sometimes we'll be less than the witness that we know that we're supposed to be. And all of those things can become excuses and can rob us of our identity. But we are challenged as a church community to keep waking up every day and to know he loves me. And I will allow his love to define my life. And because he loves me, he gives me my true identity, more important than anything else in which I find identity, that I am sent by God into my world as his son or daughter to put him on display. This is foundational, fundamental to our faith, and it's fundamental to our future together as a community of God's people. We must live in our identity as sent sons and daughters. I wonder if we could finish just by singing that song one last time, Build My Life. I know I've gone over slightly. Um, but just to give us, if you need to dash away, that's fine. But um, just to give us that opportunity, just to reflect in this moment and respond um, to what God is challenging us with. Um, Rakaia expressed it so brilliantly earlier. I'm glad you spotted Rakaia. Um, we did choose that song in this season on purpose um, because it encapsulates something of what God is saying to us as a community. We want to receive his love. We want to receive our identity from him, also knowing that he sends us to those around us.